Good morning. Um, it's so amazing, so amazing to be able to share with you this morning on a really interesting topic, which we're going to get into in a second, that I, uh, I'm excited about because I was thinking these moments, getting a chance to share this, this is just, this is something that I've, I've, I've enjoyed doing over this week. And every time I do it, I always say to, to my wife, Ruth, I was like, this is, this is something I, I want to get into the habit of doing every single week without giving a servant a, ser- servant, a sermon on a Sunday. Um, because it was, it was just an amazing experience. I've been really challenged by it. In some cases, convicted and sometimes encouraged. And it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, before I get going, it's like, can I encourage you just to, to pick, pick a verse in a week and just meditate every day on it? It's absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm often too quick to move on and go choose a different verse. Uh, and this has been really, really cool. So just before I start, I just want to just pray as well. Father God, we you take everything that is, is talked about this morning, Lord, and make it your own? Holy Spirit, move in homes right now. Take what I'm saying and make it yours, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, right, confession time. I have a confession. It's a, it's a, it's a biggie. So my wife, Ruth, she puts up with a lot. I mean a lot. All right. So to start off with, um, I have the most ridiculous timings that you, w- you wouldn't imagine how much I think I can cram into a day. Um, the classic Pete Crosley 26 hour day um, is not followed by very many calendars. Um, and the reason for it is that it's impossible. As a, res- as a result of this, I, am, I have unrealistic plans. I think I'm going to be able to do way more than I actually can. And as a result of that, have to, in some cases, cancel things because I've either double booked myself or times are just running a little bit tight. It's the classic one. I don't know if anybody else does this, but you, I, I, I always imagine that if I have a meeting that finishes at 4.30, I can start the next meeting somewhere else at 4.30. I don't think about the journey in between. I don't consider that. So as a result of that, I am renowned for being late to everything. Uh, Stuart Prentice, if you're watching, he is an avid follower of my lateness uh, and picks up on it all the time. And he's right. He's right. I'm terrible at it. I also have crazy project dreams. Um, ideas about the house, um, things that I plan to do at school with, with, the, with the department. Um, e- designing a space station would be simpler than what I dream about doing. Um, only because I love that moment to dream. I love to dream. I, those moments when you're washing up and you come up with a great idea, they're, they're, they're mine. I'm, I, I've actually you know, got to the point of actually putting them into my phone when I've come up with a good idea. Which will probably never happen because I never have time. And finally, memory loss. I have the worst memory on the planet. Really, really bad. Um, Often I'm told to go pick four things up from the shop. I'll come back with one of them. The other three I will have forgotten. But I will have bought a bunch of interesting things to go with my dream from before. So as a pattern, I'm probably quite hard to live with. So that's why why I say that Ruth puts up with a lot. What I want to say, though, is I always have the right heart behind it. I genuinely do. I don't mean to wind her up. I don't mean to do any of these things. But it's just the way that my mind works, and I'm trying to be better at them. But in the meantime, while I'm learning to be better, Ruth understands me. She understands those moments. She shows me patience. She copes with those moments so well. And she actually shows love to me in incredible ways. Almost probably, actually, to be honest, in the background, she's plotting my murder. But she shows me an incredible amount of patience and love through those situations. See, coping with people's differences is one of life's biggest challenges. They're challenges at work. And we're trying to cope with people's differences. 
It's a challenge with family where we may have disagreements. And it's a challenge at church when people have different views. Sometimes it can all get a bit too much and we snap in those moments. We can break relationships. We can bruise friendships. And we can halt progress in something that's amazing. Sometimes it can be really quick to seal over and heal the problem. And in those moments, that's great. But also sometimes that snapping moment can send fractures through the backbones of everything that we hold dear. We're going to have a look at Ephesians 4 today, okay? Specifically, verse 2 is what we're going to pick up on. And what I love about it is that it is an absolutely incredible reminder that this is not a new problem. It's been there. It's age old. However old these words might be, though, zero has changed in human nature that makes this in any way obsolete. So let's have, first of all, a quick read of Ephesians 4 verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of love. I'm just going to read that again. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of love. Okay, there's quite a lot to unpack there, so we're going to get straight into this. Right, a little background to begin. Um, Ephesians was written by Paul. Um, Paul is writing this to the early church of Ephesus. Um, It's a quick growing group of Christians at the time. And this is, he started writing this towards the end. We started meeting with them towards the end of his second missionary journey and then into his third. Most of them were, uh, they were Greek. They, they worship Greek gods, gods and especially uh, Artemis, which actually was there from, from Ephesus. They had an enormous temple there, um, which was actually one of the eight wonders of the world at the time, which is quite amazing. Uh, Paul's writing this from prison in Rome, and um, he's broken this, this, this letter into two parts. The first half of the letter um, is all about your relationship with God, and the second part of the letter is all about uh, the relationship you have with other people. So there's no doubt that Paul is setting a very tall order with these words. And it's something that, again, if I had just read this once, I might have almost read over it and not really thought about. But if you notice that he starts verse 2 straight away with saying, always be humble and gentle. Okay, always. Always be humble and gentle. Think about that for just one second. To bear with one another means you must be humble. The two parts of the sentence go hand in hand. To be humble allows you to bear with one another. Look at the definition of humility. And this almost sent shocks through me as much as reading that verse. The quality of having a low view of one's importance or to be free from from pride or arrogance. Okay, so the quality of having low view of one's importance or to be free from pride or arrogance. Free from didn't say having a small amount of or a low amount of. It's saying free from pride and arrogance, free from it. So how we view ourselves has a lot to do with how much we can bear with one another. You see, back in the day, I've got a sister. She is two years younger than me, uh, long-suffering, uh, longer than Ruth in some cases, uh, of putting up with my, my, my world. Um, Back when we were kids, I was a, an avid lover of Action Man. I absolutely loved Action Man. I didn't even know you can buy Action Man anymore. Is that, is that even a thing? I don't even know. Hey, but I loved Action Man. I thought it was the best thing ever. The tanks, the jeeps, everything. 
always creating these scenarios where I'd have all the action men together, making a plan, almost like CIA operatives kind of feel to it. However, my sister did not so much love Action Man. She was quite keen on Barbies for a very short amount of time. She was actually quite quite tomboyish. She, she sort of joined in with a lot of my games through the times, often forced. Uh, but she did have a time she liked Barbies. And as a result, they had, they had a boyfriend called Ken. Ken Doll, all right? So Ken Doll was in the, in the Barbie box with all of my sister's stuff. I would forever steal Ken and make him some kind of like mole secret agent some kind of turncoat that was was causing a, an issue with the, with the group. So obviously you do the right thing. What you do is you steal Kendall and you torture him. That's, that's it, you get the information out of him. And that's what happened, I'd have all the action men getting him sort of like trying to like tie him to a chair, drop him off the shed roof, the, the, the plan went on. For some reason, Jenny wasn't impressed by this. She actually didn't really like it at all. Still don't understand why. It seemed a very sensible thing to do. So when she would go to the Barbie box to have a look and like, put all of her, her figures out, Ken would be missing. And then when Ken was returned, he'd be missing an arm or missing a head because of whatever had gone on in my games. Now, she would then be really annoyed with me. She'd get really angry. She'd really, really get frustrated. And she'd probably go and tell my mum. Now that irritated me. I got really frustrated. It was ridiculous that Jenny didn't uh, understand the fact that he was a CIA operative that was a mole that actually had turned and was causing this havoc between the rest of the characters in the game. So I would be frustrated and I would leave and I would be like, she doesn't know anything, this is ridiculous. Now, at the time, that probably fizzled out and we played something else later on. But you see, actually, in all of that time, there was something really important that I learned in that. You see, why did I get so frustrated? Why was I so irritated by the fact that Jen didn't want to play this game with me? Well, basically, my needs were greater. My opinion was way more important than Jenny's. My goal was the greatest. Didn't matter what she wanted, I needed something. It was important that I had the plan and it was all about me. Do you ever see a pattern now? It's not just dropped behind when you're kids. My view was the top spot. My needs took the top spot. My goal took the top spot. I was the top spot. See, when we let ourselves become that top position, we face a new problem. There is only one top spot. So if you're on the top of your game, you're the top position, where is the other person in that moment? Because they can't sit alongside you. For that matter, where does Christ get to sit at that moment if you're the top spot? See, the world tells you to look after number one. But what Jesus is asking you to do is let him look after you from that top spot. You no need to be that top spot anymore. You see, you can't be humble and get that top position because you're putting yourself first. To be humble, you need to take yourself away from that top position and allow the other person to sit there. See, how about maybe giving that lift to the person that means you need to set off a little early? How about supporting that ministry that takes a little bit more of your free time? How about offering that coffee to that person when you really don't have the drive to be meeting up with anybody? You see, this is you putting someone else on that top spot. It's using Christ's example to pave the way to creating solid, anchored relationships. Paul was writing to the early church after, uh, about things that he felt would make 
and break young Christians. You see, when he wrote, when he wrote this epistle, chapters 1 to 3 are all about that relationship with God, like I said at the start. Chapters 4 to 6 are all about the relationships that they would have with other people within their church and the surrounding area. Do you know, it only takes Paul one single verse to get to this point of humility. So when you're thinking about this from a a human point of view, he was writing a letter to new Christians. And he felt that it would take one verse before he had to mention humility and the importance of getting along with one another. One verse. See, the importance of this kind of humility makes and breaks families. It makes and breaks friends and communities. Paul is saying that if we start to see each other through these eyes of humility, we start to see them in a Christ-like perspective. By giving worth to others over yourself, build a ground-shaking culture. An amazing phenomenon into your life. It builds a culture-shocking phenomenon into your families. It builds a culture-shocking phenomenon into your church. Imagine everyone lived out humility the way that Christ taught it. You ever wondered why people struggle with love your neighbor as yourself? It's not the concept of love. It's the understanding that to love others, you need to drop the top spot. To love others, you need to be able to love yourself a little less. Paul's love for the church came from a profound understanding of humility. He put every person he spoke to and the mission God gave him before himself. There was no arrogance. There was no pride. All the glory to God. As shown in 1 Corinthians verse 4, I give thanks to my God always. Through all of Paul's epistles, he takes every opportunity to highlight the fact that he's not the big dog. He's not the big guy. He's just the same as everybody else, but God had given him a mission that he was following to a T. The important thing was that God was in control and it was God's message he was passing on. He had followed Christ's instruction to do that. What part of your life do you need to hand over? What top spot moment do you need to step away from? Where has pride or arrogance slipped in so often unknowingly or secretly or sneakily? Where has humility weakened and as a result, your love for people has dropped away? I ask you, I urge you, I encourage you, hand it over to God. Give him back that top spot. Let him take control of that situation. Look after you and by that, look after everyone else. So how do we do this in love? Well, this is the way I pictured it. If love is a phone torch, humility is the brightness bar. If love is the phone torch, humility is the brightness bar. A humble heart turned out the way towards people will in turn show love in the most powerful way. Who does that sound like? A humble heart turned out the way towards people will in turn show love in the most powerful way. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he humbled himself to a point where all he wanted was for you and me to be okay. Whatever the cost to himself. That's humility. He forgot about the importance of what it would do to himself. He he didn't care. It, It wasn't important. It was a humble, deep, unbreakable, reckless love. 
That in itself is something to follow. What drives our actions towards one another in times of challenge and disagreement? See, Jesus said in Mark 12, verse 29, the most important commandments were to first love God, then love people. Loving people is the hardest challenge. Loving God is easy. It involves loving somebody who's perfect, who is never on the wrong side of an argument. He's always the one forgiving us for our mistakes. But how about us forgiving others for their mistakes? See, Jesus knew this was going to be hard. When it was written, and that it was, uh, was going to be challenging. So when he taught us how to pray, he said, and let us forgive those who sin against us. He knew that we needed daily guidance to be able to forgive others because it is such an unnatural, unhuman way of doing something. It's a divine way of doing something. He knows that we need daily help with this notion. See, from a world point of view, it's an ideology to get along. From a God point of view, it's the foundation of what we believe. See, love is our trademark. How loud and proud do you wear that brand? At the end of the day, how we love shows who we are. In those frustrating moments and the heated discussions, do you wear that brand proudly? Do you wear that brand showing it off as the first sign? Is it on your jacket and then you take your jacket off? Is it on your jumper? How loud are you about that? Look at the end of verse 2. Because of love. Basically, Paul is saying you, can show, you, you must show humility and accept other people's faults because you love them. You're able to show grace in those rough patches because of love. You're able to show forgiveness in the hurt because of love. And you'll be able to show, a, a, you're able to show love, sorry, you're able to show patience in the room where forbearance left a long time ago because of love. You see, it's because of love you are saved. It's because of love you are healed. It's because of love you are forgiven. Now, how about pouring out some of that love back into the people around you? How does that look? How about going to mend those relationships? How about going to change those perspectives? How about going to heal some of that hurting? How about meeting people where they are, not where you want them to be? That's love. That's what Paul was saying to the people of Ephesus. This is the lesson for us now in a time where separation, distrust, opposing views have never played a bigger part in society. Paul is teaching us to push back with the strongest weapon that God showed. Love. Love heals. Do you know that Paul refers to love 15 times in six chapters? He had love on the brain. He recognized that he needed to sow a culture of love so that the Ephesians didn't lose sight of their mission. He recognized that to bear with others would allow the lost to be reached. The young Christians would set the trend of getting along in love to create something magnetic. A patience unmatched by others. I started reading a book um, called... I thought, just a wee pause there. I started reading a book. Just there we go. For some of my friends, they, that's a surprise in itself. Um, 
Uh, it's called Start With The Why by Simon Sinek. See, it's a, it's a book about business. And it's basically saying that he grasped the idea that if people know why they're completing a task, they're fully invested in it. But actually, it made me really think about this passage. Why? Why are we invested in this? So why do we need to bear with one another? Well, it's simple as this. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. At what point did we deserve it? At what point did we demonstrate that we had the right to have that? God came into this knowing that this was a broken place, full of broken people that were struggling with the, the, the sheer foundations of what he wanted them to be. We didn't deserve it. God stepped into this world to fix it. He showed an incredible love. The love beyond all other loves. He sent his son to die for it. You see, from the start, there was no way that God was we were going to be able to grasp this. We needed something to follow. So by that, he sent Christ to do that for us. He gave us the perfect example. You see, God commanded us to do this. It was a commandment. We're commanded to do it. So he gave us a really good example to follow. But now what we need to do is we need to be able to act it out. My question for you this morning is this. Who are you bearing with at the moment? Where does your humility and love sit with that person? It's a real challenge. It doesn't come with an easy answer. But can I encourage you that the joy and the wonder that comes from the other side of those maybe difficult conversations will we allow you to have a fruitful relationship with that person? Paul's taken this opportunity to be able to guide this early church in that same story. He knew that it was going to be a human nature issue that was going to come into a divine situation. But at the same time, he knew that he, we had the very, very, very perfect, perfect way of seeing this through. That Christ had given us that perfect example to follow. And all he was doing was just pointing out to the Ephesian people that this is what you needed to do. This is what we needed to follow. What I love about this passage is that that hasn't changed to this day. The same struggles and the same conversations. Oh, I what I give to be a fly on the wall and hearing what it would have been like back then. I bet you the conversations would have been so similar. So similar. And the problems and the challenges that they faced would have been so similar because we're humans. At the same time, though, the answer is still the same. That Christ's example is still the same. It's the same today as it always will be. That's what I love. So just as we finish, I want to pray about this challenge. I want to pray about it because I really think there's some amazing things that can happen in this. This might be a situation where you're thinking, right, there's actually somebody within this church I want to have this conversation with. Maybe it's somebody in your own family that you just have been narked at recently, niggled at. Or maybe you've been doing the niggling. Either way, these are the moments that can be solved. You just need to take that opportunity to do so. Understanding that for you to be humble allows you to show love. 
And by showing love, you are going to be able to bear with one another.